Thank you, Jesus. Oh, well, it's my privilege today on the due date of my second grandson. Come on, Jesus. Today would be a great day, Lord. 05 22 22. Come on now. Second grandson. 2222. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Our youngest granddaughter was actually born on the very anniversary of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on, on our church in Toronto. Uh, 01 2020. So that's pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, the Holy Spirit came in, in amazing power in 1994, and that started an amazing revival of which we're still enjoying. Okay, well, today, my, the title of my message uh, is The System of the Kingdom, Living, Living Generously with Our Finances. And this photograph is a photograph that I took at our Family at the, at, at the fishing village in which my family in England have two cottages and uh, vacation cottages. And so it's a very, very dear and favorite place to all of us in my family. And uh, the reason I chose this picture uh, is because there is a system that the fishermen and I guess women that are involved in fishing in our village back home in England uh, which is, by the way, stunningly beautiful. And while we were there, I took um, JT um, and Kathy, who uh, were members of our team at that time. I took them, Murray and, and Ash and Kate and I, took them into a, a pub just where we've walked out of to take that picture. And uh, JT said to the, um, the bartender, wow, this place looks old. Is it, is it old? And he said, well, it was built in around 1300. <laughs> yeah, so it's a pretty old village. But the reason I chose this is because you see those little boats? In the system, you have to take a little boat to get to the little boat. Then from the little boat, you take the little boat to get to the big boat. And then the big boat, you take and you have to navigate carefully through all of the boats and you have to make your way through the inner harbor, which this is the inner harbor, and you can just about make out the gap uh, at the top of the, the round um, white globe there. There's a gap just there that you go through out of that stone wall that's very ancient. You go through that and out into the outer harbor, and then there's a second set of walls way out in order to get out then into the ocean. And of course, uh, you have to know how to navigate boats very, very well. There's a system to this ancient art of fishing. And, you know, I was chatting with Kate, my wife, and I, I told her the, the title of my message, and she said, darling, that's, that, that's, that's a very feature-oriented title. And, and normally, uh, you know, a benefit-oriented title is, is way better than a feature-oriented title. And any of you that have done any marketing, you'll know the first thing they teach you in marketing is you market the benefits and not the features. And so uh, it, I, I thought to myself, oh, goodness, that's true, but I've already sent this, this uh, PowerPoint to the team. And then as I was waiting on the Lord about it, I felt the Lord saying, 
It's okay. I want them, I want all of us to understand very, very clearly the system of the kingdom. Even if it doesn't sound like, whoa, it's the whole point of this morning. The system of the kingdom. And so I want you to understand that living generously with our finances is a very, very important part of our worship and our love affair with Jesus. And last week, Aaron did a fantastic job of preaching about laying down our lives only and all for Jesus. But laying down our lives only and all for Jesus is not a matter of, of being part of the local church or, or raising our hands or dancing or kneeling or laying down flat, prostrate before him, whether that's you know here in a place of worship or whether it's in a place of worship that's in your own home that you've carved out as your place to, to be in the secret place with Jesus. Whilst all of that is, is really important and amazing, what we do with our money is really vitally important in the eyes of the Lord. And I want you to turn with me to our main text this morning, Luke chapter 16. And I'm going to read a passage of scripture that has always been very, very mysterious to me. Perhaps it hasn't to you, but every time I've come to this in the last uh, 30 years of reading the Bible from cover to cover each year, I get to this chapter, and for many years I would get to it and think, wow, Jesus, have you lost the plot or what? Of course, I know he hasn't. It's me that is the lack of having the lack of understanding, but I just didn't understand it. And you'll see why as we begin to read. Verse 1, Luke 16, 1. Holy Spirit, would you ask us, uh, sorry, would you we ask you, would you please help us to understand your word this morning? And Lord, would you teach us the kingdom and the system of the kingdom so that we can prosper for your glory? Not for our sakes alone, but for your name's sakes. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus also said to his disciples, I'm reading from the New King James this morning, there was a certain rich man who had a steward or a manager and an accusation was brought to him that, his, that this man was wasting his belongings or his goods. So he called to him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do for my master's taking the stewardship away from me? I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I've resolved, I've resolved what to do. I know what I'm going to do, that when I'm put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. When I lose my job, I'll get another job. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him. That's the people that owed his master money in business terms. And said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. He cut the bill in half. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master, okay, this is where it gets weird. So the master commended the unjust steward 
because he had dealt shrewdly. Even though the master had lost money, the master is commending the steward because he has dealt shrewdly. This is Jesus. Okay, I'm the only one in the room that's like, wow. Maybe those of you watching online, you're like, wow. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. I mean, I'm losing the plot right here. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No master, sorry, excuse me, no servant can serve two masters for either he or she will hate the one and love the other or else he or she will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard him say these things and they scorned him. They derided him. Folks, I've not been able to understand this scripture for years and years until I was with a wonderful man that was, uh, owned three aeroplanes. So when you own three aeroplanes, not just one private aeroplane, but three private aeroplanes, how many of you know that this is a successful person financially? Three personal private aeroplanes. Okay, I just got my second motorcycle in my garage. And the reason I've got a second motorcycle in my garage is because I'm bougie. And so my, my adventure motorcycle that you've all seen uh, a picture of, that's great, it's, a, it's an attack missile. But when you wanna just relax and enjoy at 55 miles an hour, the nice North Kakalaki scenery, you do not wanna be doing fast mode, attack mode. You want to be in relaxed mode. So an old Harley, old school, has just been in my heart since my best friend, I sold my Harley to my best friend. And those of you that have known me a long time will know that I very much enjoyed that Harley for six years. And I've always hankered after one secretly in my heart. And my wife blessed me this week and allowed me to buy an old Harley. And I'm so excited that with the birth of my second grandson, I get a baby too. I love it. It's awesome. And so, yeah, <laughs> Mimi's just saying it's the trade-off, you know, laying down my life for my grandchildren. Here we go. Anyway. Two motorcycles sounds a lot to me. I've had two motorcycles before. I've had motorcycles for 30 years. They're just places of enjoyment. They're not the objects of worship. They facilitate my worship. And I enjoy sitting on them and worshiping Jesus while I'm riding. 
But they're not in my heart. Only Jesus is in my heart. Now this man with three airplanes, he's not fussing about having two motorcycles. He's got three airplanes. And he said to me on his boat, which was a $6 million boat, he said to me, Duncan, have you ever thought about the parable of the unrighteous steward in Luke 16? I said, have I ever thought about it? I've, every time I get to it, I just don't understand it. He said, me too. He was in his 60s at the time. I was in my 40s. He said to me, Duncan, I was reading it one day and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just opened my understanding and I realized the master is not commending the unrighteous steward for his unrighteousness. The, uh, the master is commending the unrighteous steward for understanding the world has a system and utilizing the system to his benefit. And he said to me, in that moment, the Holy Spirit said, my people don't understand that the kingdom has a system, just as the world has a system. And if you utilize that system, unrighteous as it is, you will benefit. If that's true of an unrighteous system, how much more is it true of a righteous system that if those who understand will live according to the system, they shall be blessed? I'm like, wow. That's amazing. Of course, we also know anyone that's a business person that the, unrighteous, that the master was also commending the fact that the man was cutting his losses for him. To have something back is better than nothing back. But we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about the revelation that entered the heart of that individual with three airplanes that he was gracious enough to pass on to me that it changed my life this is a message to take notes on even if you don't have pen and paper. Take notes in your heart and you'll be pleased to know I have a slide prepared for you anyway. There is a system in the kingdom. If you learn the system and live according to the system, you will prosper. No ifs, no buts, no maybes. It's absolute. Just like gravity is absolute. The first thing that we need to understand about the system of the kingdom, we're going to be reading from the top left all the way to the bottom right over the next few minutes. The first, the first uh, point in the system of the kingdom is returning. Everybody say returning. Returning. You say, well, what do you mean returning? Returning to God's excuse me, returning to God what belongs to God. Returning God what is God's. What belongs to Him. You see, everything in this world belongs to God. Everything. And God wants to know, do you, as His son or daughter, created by Him, living in this world, do you understand that? Do you know that? Or are you in the mentality that what's yours is yours? That you've earned it, it belongs to you, you can do whatever you like with it. You see, you can live that way and you, you can become very, 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 very rich like that, but you're still in the system of the world. You are not in the system of the kingdom. And those riches, as I was reading today in my, in my reading, in Ecclesiastes 1, those riches, you're just storing them up for an, another generation to enjoy them. In other words, they're temporary. 
But God wants you to enter into his eternal kingdom, the eternal system of his eternal kingdom. And so number one, returning. Well, it just happens that God has created in the universe laws that are absolute laws. For example, gravity. If I was to drop this microphone, there's nothing that, can, that would stop this microphone dropping, crashing to the floor, and that would be an expensive mistake. Gravity is an unchangeable law. Tithing is an unchangeable law. The good news is, it's actually a joy to be discovered. In the same way that thermodynamics, aerodynamics, allows you, if you discover it, to overcome gravity and fly. In the same way, in the kingdom, God has created a way for him to know that you know that everything in your life belongs to him. And if you know that, and you let him know that, he will bless your hands in everything that you do. Why? Because he trusts you. He can trust you. You understand it's all his. And so you're going to be wise with what you do. Now, what is the mechanism by which he knows that you know? It's the returning of the tithe. The word tithe is one-tenth. This tithing, many people in the church today will say, oh, that's an Old Testament uh, scripture. Did you know that Jesus died in the Old Testament? Aren't you so glad that Jesus' death in the Old Testament still means that you're blessed in the New Covenant? Tithing was not introduced in the law of Moses, which is the old covenant law. How many of you know that there are many things that are in the scriptures that we have placed in the old covenant that were actually not part of the old covenant as in the covenant of Moses with Israel? They are in the word of God. Genesis to Malachi is the word of God. Exodus through the end of Deuteronomy, is the written, we through old covenant. So tithing, yes, it's there in the old covenant, in the teaching, in, in what God gave Moses, Leviticus 23, 23. He speaks to Israel and commands them to return the tithe. But tithing was not something that started suddenly then. No, no, no. It predated Moses. It goes all the way back to Abel. Abel was the fourth human being to ever live. And Abel was the first person to discover the joy of tithing. He discovered that there is a law in the universe, a principle in the universe that allows God to know that you know that all is his. And Abel tithed, and God blessed Abel. The fascinating thing about that story in Genesis 4-4, where Abel brought the first fruits, the tithe, the 10% to God, God accepted his offering, even though actually in Genesis 4 verse 3, it says that Cain decided he's going to give an offering. 
Cain actually decided to give an offering before Abel tithed. And God loved Abel's tithe and rejected Cain's offering. Why? Because there's a system, everybody. The system of the kingdom works like this. The returning of the tithe. And by the way, in Malachi, the tithe, God says to Israel, bring the whole tithe, the full tithe. Don't skimp on the tithe. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. For the ancient Israelites, the storehouse was the temple. That was the place of their worship. For us, there are millions of churches all over the world that believe, like we do, that the storehouse, quote unquote, is the local church now in our day. I'm not saying that it is New Testament that the, new, that the church equals the new storehouse. I'm saying that it is a biblical-esque principle that is so strong that if you return your tithe to God through your local storehouse, I believe, we believe, you will be blessed and recognized by God as a tither. The reason why the local church is the storehouse, your storehouse, is because it's here in this local church that you are known and you get to know. You get to know people and you get to be known. Your life can be a life of transparency, a life where you get to give and receive, a, life, a place where you get to be blessed and blessed and bless others. It's a, it's a place of belonging, a local expression of the kingdom of heaven on the earth being worked out in family and in community. It's in this place that you get to serve, not this building, but this family, that you get to serve Jesus with maximum effect. Like I preached a few weeks ago, you get to practice the spiritual gifts. You get to become all that God desires you to be in this safe place of the family in order that in the out in the world where you get to be a working worshiper 24-7 out in the world with your family, with your workplace. That place is not the place to practice. That place is the place to excel. And so because of all of that, Kate and I consider and have always considered since we were taught this, that our local church is our storehouse according to Malachi. And we have been blessed. We have been tithers for 31 years in August as a couple. And we were already tithers before that. In fact, we both wanted to know before we married each other, do you believe in tithing? Because it's that important. Why? Because without the tithe, you can't even start the next steps in the system of the kingdom. Because the whole purpose of the tithe is to let God know, you know, it's all His. Now I get a lot of people saying to me, oh, well, you know, uh, I am a tither, but I don't, I don't tithe, I don't, and this is how they say it, I don't give my tithe to the local church. Well, first of all, that's the number one giveaway. You do not give your tithe. You return your tithe. You're returning back to God. What is God's? Number two, 
You are not tithing if you split the tithe up. Because the word tithe means 10%. And God doesn't say, return your tithe to the storehouses. He says, return your tithe to the storehouse. Now, I realize I'm preaching fire today. And I realize that there may may well be some of you that at this point don't agree with me. If I sound like I'm being persuasive, it's because God has so blessed Kate and I. And every single tither we know that understands the full system is so blessed. I can't help myself but be passionate with you. It has nothing to do with being after your money. In case you hadn't noticed, this place is happening with or without all of us. People have come, people have gone, but the lights still come on. Why? Because we're not after anybody's money. I mean, have you noticed we don't pass a basket or a bowl around? Why don't we pass a basket and a bowl around? Because we're not after your money. In fact, what we're after is your maturity. And so in order to help you in your maturity, we've left it up to you. There's, look at that box over there. It's right next to the fire extinguisher. The fire extinguisher box is bigger than the tithe box. (laughs) We'll catch the fire. We need a big fire extinguisher, not a big tithe box. The whole point, everybody, is it's up to you. And we've made it a little difficult for you so that you grow up. Kate said to me the other day, because we get invited to speak in in different places, and when we go, people bless us. And uh, it's, it's easy to remember the tithe on your paycheck, because for us, we've set it up with Church Center. How many of you have downloaded the Church Center app and are using that? Okay, that's just a few hands. Can I recommend it to you? Take your cell phone out. Even while I'm preaching, I don't mind if you get distracted because take a photograph of that, first of all, so you can look at it afterwards. And secondly, in your, dis- in your distraction, download Church Center, make Catch the Fire Raleigh-Durham your local church, and you can set up your bank account so that automatically your tithe... Go straight to Catch the Fire, your local storehouse, before you forget. That's what Kate and I have done. So we have an automatic draft straight in to Church Center, to Catch the Fire Raleigh. And uh, I have a few individuals in the church that I like to try to come out as the number one tither in the church, if I can each year. But I've been bumped down of late, which is very sad. Some people seem to be more blessed than I am. But I'm, 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 I'm still going. Now, so, yeah, I got it, love. So, I, I think I'm reaping what I've sowed, to be honest. So, the other day, Kate said to me, oh, honey, um, did you remember to return the tithe from the gifts that we've been given in the, la- in, in the month of April? From when we were preaching, I'm like, oh my goodness, no, I forgot. 
I'm so sorry, honey. So sorry, Lord. And quickly got on to church, the, the church center and returned that tithe, those tithes to the Lord. It's the first fruits. People say to me, Is it, should I tithe before tax or after tax? Well, if the government's more important to God, to you than God, then tithe after tax. But if God's more important than the government, tithe before your taxes and trust God with whatever the difference is. After all, is God too weak to bless you because you tithe gross? Now, it says in Malachi 3.10, test me, see if I will not open the windows of heaven and bless you. And we tend to think of those windows and pour out such a blessing on you, he says. We tend to think of those windows as kind of like mechanical uh, windows that are above our heads, kind of like on those big trucks, those gravel trucks, that, those old-fashioned ones that would open up in the belly and all the gravel would fall out. We tend to think of the windows of heaven a bit like that. You know, they're just mechanical. If I'm a tither, God will open these mechanical windows and just blessings going to pour out on me. And maybe God did mean that. But in the ancient Hebrew culture, opening the windows of heaven literally meant drawing the curtains so that you could look up into heaven. And I think that that gives us a dimension regarding the tithe that we don't often think about. That actually what the tithe does is it allows you to prosper in this world that God created because God will give you God's innovation, God's innovative ideas. I remember Steve Long saying to me and to Kate and I that he and Sandra, Steve Long is the, past, uh, the senior leader up in Toronto that Murray and Ash are going to be the successors of. Steve said two things to me. Um, number one, he said, Duncan, can I borrow your notes, please? These very notes. I want to preach them in Toronto. I said, sure, Steve. He preached these notes. A man was in the congregation he said to the Lord, Lord, if you, I'm going to put you to test in the tithe. If you will bless me as I become a person who returns the tithe to you, if you will bless me and teach me how to sow and do all the other things in the system, if you will help me do this, Lord, I ask you that you would so multiply me and enlarge me that I personally will pay the church's mortgage. $2.1 million. It wasn't long. It was like two to three years later. Wouldn't you know the Lord just blessed this man with such amazing ideas and those ideas just blew his business right up and he stroked a check and paid off the entire debt of the church. That guy didn't go home that Sunday and go, yeah, that church is just after my money. How many of you know that that man went home saying, wow, my pastor taught me how to prosper and God prospered me. Amen? Second thing, Steve told me, he said, I was on a cruise ship with Sandra and the two of us were designated a table and the people that were on that table were a, were a couple that we began to get to know. And I said to this man, what do you do? He said, oh, I, I get paid for my ideas. He said, what? What do you mean you get paid for your ideas? He goes, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus. He said, oh, my goodness, so am I. I'm a pastor. 
Oh, fantastic. Well, of course, they just got on like a house on fire for the rest of the week. Well, the man unloaded to Steve and Sandra. He said, I sit with God in my quiet time, and I ask him, because I'm a tither, I ask him to see into heaven for heaven's ideas. Heaven, the Holy Spirit, gives me ideas. I call Google, Apple, YouTube, um, uh, all Twitter, all of these, you know, West Coast tech companies and many other companies. I just call them up with my ideas and ask them if they would like to buy them off me. And they'll give me over a million dollars for an idea. And so as a result of that, uh, my wife and I, we've been on 80-something cruises. There is a life you're not living right now that you could live. But you've got to understand the system of the kingdom because it's a system. You've got to take the little boat to get into the little boat, to get into the big boat, to navigate through the walls, to go out of the inner harbor into the outer harbor, to get out of the outer harbor into the open seas, and then you'll catch fish. There's a system, everybody. That right there, okay, is a tither. The tithe is a greenhouse, remember? Point, tithe is a greenhouse. That right there is a person who tithes. It's a good-looking greenhouse, isn't it? Soil's really fertile. There's all the, the right conditions. Everything's ready. Have you noticed that there's no plants in there at all? You see, people come to me from time to time and they say, Pastor, I'm a tither and I'm just not blessed. Well, number one, you're tithing to get blessed and that's not why you tithe. You tithe to return to God what belongs to God. And by doing that, you create a greenhouse. God creates a greenhouse in your life. But the greenhouse doesn't give you a harvest. There's a system. Number two, point number two, there must be seed sown in your life. If you want a harvest, you can't just tithe. Returning the tithe won't give you a harvest. Returning the tithe will give you the perfect, perfect environment for all of the rest of your life to prosper. Amen? So you won't just prosper financially, but you'll prosper in your local storehouse. You'll grow in the spiritual gifts because when you sow spiritual gifts, you reap. If you want to grow in the prophetic, the more you sow in the prophetic, the more you'll reap back. It's not just about money, everybody. It's a harvest of righteousness. When you sow holiness, you'll reap holiness. When you sow joy, you'll reap joy. Whatever a man sows, he reaps, according to Galatians 6, 7. It is a universal law. The law of sowing and reaping. The law of sowing and reaping. You want a harvest, you must sow. So number two is sowing. Number two is sowing. And here's the important part about sowing, everybody. You do not sow a harvest. You sow seed. Seed is not a lot. You don't have to give God a lot. You know... I'm, I'm not suggesting it in the system of the kingdom, God wants everything that you have so that you have absolutely nothing. 
No, he already has everything you have. It already belongs to him. All he wants to know is, do you get it? Oh, you've, you've returned the tithe? Yes, you get it. Great. Okay, now you've got the greenhouse. All right. Now he's saying, sow a little bit. Start to sow. We say, well, what do I sow? Sow whatever you decide, desire to have a harvest for. Whatever you desire for a harvest. I was talking again to another man. Gosh, not all my friends have airplanes. But I was talking to a wonderful friend. And he has a really large airplane, a private plane. And he turned around, and he's the one who taught me this. He turned around and he said, no, he didn't teach me sowing, but he taught me about the seed according to each seed. In other words, if you want an apple, if you want apples, what do you sow? You don't see, sow grapefruit pips, you sow apple pips. You sow apple seeds to get apples, yeah? Amen? So he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, I want to give you a new airplane. And, uh, you know, it's easy for us to get jealous, isn't it? The Lord said, I want to give you a new airplane. So I want you to sow, calculate the amount of your new airplane. $70 million. Sow one one-hundredth of the harvest because I will take your seed and bless it 100-fold. One one-hundredth of seven million is 700,000. This man already having an airplane, 700,000, he's able to sow that kind of seed. You and I probably can't sow a $700,000 seed. That's a coconut-sized seed, okay? And so it's important that we know and understand that God's not looking for us to sow a coconut-sized seed if all we've got is mustard seeds. But mustard seeds will lead to a hundredfold mustard seeds, which will then allow you to sow a bigger seed like a mango stone. See, we have to understand it step by step by step. This man had been a sower, for, a tither and a sower for decades. And he sowed 700,000 and he said, within a very, very short space of time, I was given an aeroplane back. $70 million aeroplane. Now, aeroplanes might not be in your portfolio of desire. But what about that new used car? that you've been looking at and thinking, you know what, it's about time I upgrade my car. Well, instead of thinking in the old way, make sure that you're already returning your tithe. And then into that greenhouse, calculate. You need 15,000 for the new used car. Take one one hundredth. That's only 150 bucks, everybody. Take that 150 bucks and sow it into someone that you know needs a new car. And if you can't find anybody that you know that needs a new car, take that 150 bucks and sow it by faith into someone somewhere. Because it's not the money that's the seed, this man with the airplane taught me, it's your faith that you encapsulate the seed with that brings the 100-fold harvest. The seed is your faith not the dollars. Does everybody understand that? Okay, now, the only, up till this point, sowing, at this point, it's all about you growing and harvest. 
and faith. But God is bigger than all of that. And he invites us into level three, which is giving. The difference between giving and sowing is that when you sow, you sow for a harvest. When you give, you don't care about a harvest. It's where your heart gets purified in all its motives. So that you learn to be somebody who's open-handed with everything that you have. And the place that really touches God's heart regarding what we do with our money is when we give secretly where Jesus said in Matthew 6 that your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing. You're just freely giving. And I'm just going to get that, that scripture. It is Matthew 6, 3 and 4, verse 3 and 4, that you do this in secret. And what, that, what this is, is giving in such a way that you have no desire to get. You're doing it out of the pure generosity of your heart. And the Lord asks that you do it to the needy, to the poor. And there are so many scriptures in the Bible that talk about our giving to the poor. In Luke 12, 33, Jesus said, Give to the poor and the needy in secret. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. He's not saying sell all your possessions, otherwise you become needy. He's saying there is a place to take some of what you have and have a cleansing time where you just, in a wonderfully cathartic way, unhook your heart from your possessions and give them to someone who can never, ever pay you back and do it so much in secret that only your Father in heaven knows and he will reward you. Luke's, uh, Matthew 6, verse 4. I love it. It's just amazing. I love the heart of God. And in Proverbs 19, verse 17, I love this verse. Whoever's generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Lends to the Lord. And he will repay him. It's beautiful. And that leads me to point number four, which is lending. And by the way, lending and bad debt borrowing don't associate the two. Lending in the kingdom of heaven is righteous if it's done right. And how do we know it's righteous? Because God says, if you give to the poor, you lend to me. So if God borrows from you and promises to pay you back, you probably would be good to lend to other people. And it just happens, okay, that lending is number four in the system of the kingdom. Lending is about stewardship. Lending is where a person gets to grow in maturity, both the lender and the person borrowing. And in the scriptures, it's very clear that we are to lend without interest. We are to lend without interest. And uh, I think that that's best in Leviticus, uh, sorry, in Deuteronomy 23, 19 to 20, it says, you shall not charge interest on any loans that you give to your brother or an Israelite, aka a believer. 
You may charge interest to a foreigner, but you may not charge interest to your brother, to a fellow Israelite. Why? So that the Lord your God may bless you in the land. Psalm 15 verse 5 says this. He or she who lends without usury or without interest shall never, ever be shaken. I remember when Kate and I had a dear friend of ours. He's still one of our best friends. He came up to us 13 years ago and he said, right here in North Carolina, sitting in our screened-in porch, he said, if I don't pay a certain debt to the IRS, I'm going to jail. And I said, well, how much do you owe? He told me the amount. I knew that Kate and I could afford to help him. I said, wait here. I went inside. I said, honey, such and such and so and so, can we give it to him? And she said, no, we're going to lend it. Well, I didn't know about lending at that point. This is how I know it. I said, lend it to him? How can you be so mean? That's so mean. And she's like, no, no, I just feel in my heart we're not to give it. If we give it, we'll enable. And we don't want to enable, we want to mature. And I said, oh, goodness gracious, is this the time for a lesson? She's like, absolutely. Set out the terms. When you lend, set out the terms. Get the agreement of one another. So I set the terms out. We set the terms out that this person would do a certain amount of work for us and that we would pay them the equivalent of such and such an amount per hour, which was very generous, until the whole debt was paid back. He said, absolutely done. Shook our hands. Do you know something? Over the next two years, that individual, we were able to cover them uplift them in their esteem and their honor. They never ever felt like we had just, they were the object of our benevolence. They knew that there was a covenant between us, an agreement between us. And you know something, that person paid every dime off and they're still to this day one of our best friends. 14 years later, and we discovered that there is a joy to lending. It is part of the system of the kingdom. No interest, set out the terms, and if the person defaults and can't pay it back, be prepared to give them a forgiveness note and forgive the debt. Why? So that you can be like your Father in heaven who forgives you. Amen. Amen. Now, the last part is this. None of this will happen if you don't work. (laughs) Do not be idle, Scripture says. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 talks about make sure that you are not idle. And in fact, it says this. It even goes so far as to say that if you don't, this is Thessalonians 3.10, He who does not work shall not eat. If you work, God promises to bless the work of your hands. Psalm 90, 17. Let the favor of the Lord God be upon us. Why? That he might establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, folks, this is really important, okay? Before I let you go, whatever you do, work for the right boss. And I'm not talking human beings here. I'm talking about whether you work for money 
or whether you work for joy. The thing about money is money makes a terrible master, but a phenomenal servant. But you must learn to master it. We teach our girls when they were little. Here you are, girls. Here's $10. Each of those $10 is your army. Now, put your army to work. Go to war with your army. By the way, take one of those soldiers and return them to the Lord. That's one-tenth. The rest of the nine, start to sow them into the battlefield and tell them, hey, you, I'm sowing you here and I expect you to report back for duty in one month's time with 100 soldiers just like you. Come back to the military base. You understanding it? There's a system in the kingdom. So fire money is your boss. It's an awful master. But money's an excellent servant. Work for joy. And here's the big deal. Make money work for you. Let's stand, everybody. You cannot serve both God and mammon. But if you serve God, mammon will serve you. If you serve God, mammon will serve you. Kate and I, our greatest goal is that by the end of our lives, the majority of our cash flow will come whether we're awake or asleep. It will make no difference. The money will still pour in to our bank account. Why? Because we've served God and money is serving us. After all, when we die and go to be with Jesus, everything that we have established that's creating all of that cash flow while we're asleep, it will be there for our children to bless them and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Kate and I, we don't have a lot compared to probably millions in this world. But what we have, it's God's. And what we have, we're stewarding well by the grace of God. And I've shared this message with you. It's been burning on my heart to share it with you. Not because I'm after your money. I'm paid a very, very modest salary. That the board, after seven years, said you need to have that from this church. We have other things that generate cash flow. Folks, here's the deal. Many streams makes a big river. If you can produce streams in your life, and you'll have to exercise faith to develop those streams, but God's put treasure on the inside of you, you will never ever run out. You'll never exhaust the mine of treasure that's on the inside of you. You have more wealth on the inside of you than you will ever, ever accumulate on the outside of you. That man on that cruise ship He's still not as wealthy as he could become because it is impossible to exhaust the mine of the treasure of Jesus on the inside of you. It's all about Jesus. All of this system is so that you can be like Jesus, so that you can be someone who walks this world without owning anything in your own mind.
One of my favorite things to tell people is, I flew here on my private jet because according to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 19 and 21, it says, you are in Christ and all things belong to you. So I, Kate and I just got back from Nashville where we were this week. We flew back in our private jet. We just had to share it with all the other passengers, that's all. It's about the way we think, everybody. I want you to take a moment before I release you. Just take a moment. Father, I ask your forgiveness for every way through ignorance or through my own deliberate stubbornness of heart. I've not been living in the fullness of the system of your kingdom a system you created for my benefit and for your pleasure. And Lord, we ask you today collectively as a people, Lord, would you teach us the system of the kingdom? Lord, would you fill us with faith? Lord, would you show us how to return what belongs to you? Lord, would you show us where and how to sow and how much? Lord, would you show us how and help us to become Really good secret givers. And Lord, if we ever need to lend, help us not to be fearful. Help us to step forward so that like Psalm 15:5 says, we will never ever be shaken, that we will live a life of unshakable unshakability. And Lord, above all, Lord, we promise to work. And as we work, just like you put Adam in the garden, to tend, to work the garden. And you bless the work of his hands. Lord, would you help us to work? And we trust you to bless the labor of our hands and our minds and our feet. And that we'll work for joy. That we'll never work for money. Money will never be our master. We fire money right now as our master. You're fired, money. You're no longer our boss in any shape or form. You will work for us. We decree and declare into the spiritual atmosphere that money will work for the Catch the Fire family and serve us as we serve Jesus. And we pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.